So as I mentioned, I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about and reflecting on the love of God, just how deeply God loves and cares for each and every one of us. This all started because my, my wife and I attend First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, uh, and she and I volunteer at the youth group there. Uh, we help with the teaching, so we kind of alternate week after week. One of us brings a message, and then the youth pastor participates and brings a message periodically as well. And we've been teaching the teenagers about the persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And recently, we've been talking about the heart that God has for God's children, just how much God loves us as children. And so I had the opportunity to start reflecting on the depth of this love and then to try to put it into little five-minute devotionals and small group discussion questions uh, for these teenagers to talk about and to understand, but I hadn't really had the chance to flush them all out in one place before. So when Stephen texted me about a month ago and asked me if I was available to preach this morning, it was a pretty easy yes, and it was for a few reasons. Uh, The first is I wanted to help. Stephen's a great friend. Uh, I know how hard he works and I know how deserved his rest is. So it was a real joy to be able to say yes and offer him the ability to take a bit of time to rest this week. Two, I had such a great time when I was here back in June that it was a no-brainer to come back uh, and do it all again. And then the third was that I already had this topic of the love of God in mind. It was something that I had been reflecting on. And that makes the whole preparation thing just a little bit less strenuous when you already have in your mind a little bit of what you'd like to share. So this morning we're going to talk about love. But I'm going to clarify it's not the mushy, gushy type of love that you find in a movie theater. It is a little bit, but that's not really what we're going to get at today. Instead, we're going to talk about love in the deeply sacrificial and fulfilling way that God loves us. It's about more than just a warm feeling inside. We might get that and experience it and it would be authentic and real, but the love that God has for us is so much more than just a warm feeling. So I'm going to start this morning by teaching you a Hebrew word. Uh, it's, a type of, it's a type of word that uh, you might benefit by like having a little bit of the head cold that's been going around lately because there's a phlegmy sound to it. Um, the Hebrew word is chesed. And so if, if, if not, you can say hesed, but then the next time you have a cold, give it a better, better crack, and chesed is the word. And chesed is a Hebrew word that translates to love in English, but it's more than just love as we understand it. See, English is probably one of the worst languages in the world for this idea of love. Anybody who's interacted with C.S. Lewis and read his book, The Four Loves, which talks about the Greek language, knows that love in English just doesn't really, it's, it's too broad. It, it, it encompasses too many different things for us to really be able to understand. Uh, when my wife and I got married, one of the things that she learned when we were dating was that I'm a big Toronto Blue Jays fan. You might have noticed my mask uh, is, is blue. She got me this for Christmas last year, um, and I wear it as often as I can. I do wash it. I promise. Um, but uh, but I, I, I'm a big Toronto Blue Jays fan. And she learned very early on uh, that in the summertime, uh, my loyalties would be divided. Uh, I would spend a lot of time watching baseball. I would spend a lot of time pouring over stat charts and everything else to keep up with what's going on with the Blue Jays. I umpire baseball. I spend probably five to seven nights a week at the baseball field in the summertime Uh, whether it's watching baseball on TV or physically being at a ball diamond here on PEI. I love baseball. 
And my wife knew this before we got married. But the, the problem with English is that I can say I love baseball. And I can say that I love my wife. And I promise you, no matter how busy I look in the summer at a ball field, I love my wife in a far fuller and more meaningful way than I will ever love baseball. But we only have one word for it. Right? I gave this illustration with teenagers and I said I love tacos and I love my wife. And it's two very, at least I would hope, two very different types of love that I have for, those, uh, for, for tacos versus my wife. English just doesn't encompass this word well enough because it's too broad. So instead, I wanted to teach you this word chesed this morning because chesed gets a little bit more specific. It denotes this deeply sacrificial, unending, unconditional, eternal love that English just can't capture when we say love. If you want to flip back almost to like the opposite end of your Bible from where we started, Exodus chapter 34, we get a description of the character of God. God is revealing God's self to Moses and, and passing by saying, this is who I am so that you know, because Moses was struggling. He was doubting. He was worried. He was frustrated. Leadership is hard. Uh, and Moses was dealt a pretty tough hand. So God said, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Go up to the edge of the mountain and you're gonna, I'm going to pass you by and explain to you who I am. And so in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we read, And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet God does not leave the guilty unpunished. God punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. The word chesed makes an appearance in this passage as the character of God is described to Moses. And this isn't our central text this morning. The central idea we're exploring is that God is love and that love ought to influence the way we feel and also the way that we live. But love is the thing that defines who God is, so let's try to figure out what exactly is meant by love, by chesed. This text in Exodus helps us to begin to grasp exactly what that love is, how it works, and how we ought to act in light of our understanding. See, chesed love is faithful love. In Exodus chapter 34, it's the kind of love that extends to the thousands it's exponential love that can never run out. It can never decrease. It's, it's infinite in its scope. So it extends to thousands of generations, thousands of people. It's also the kind of love that is concerned with what is good and what is right and what is pure and what is noble. So while this love extends to thousands... It does not represent total license to do whatever you want, right? When my wife tells me she loves me no matter what I do, it doesn't mean I can just run around and do whatever I want without ever being at risk of hurting her. That's not how love works. There are still boundaries to be put in place because there are some things, there are some lines that you just don't cross. The same is true of God. God loves us unconditionally, no matter what we do. But if we truly love God, then we ought to live in a certain way that would reflect that love that we have for God. So this love is unconditional, unending, infinite in its scope, but it does set some safety lines and safety markers around it so that we know when we've crossed 
a line. And when those boundary lines are crossed, there are consequences. Consequences that could, I might add, have multi-generational consequences. We see that in the latter part of this passage, right? It says to us that God, uh, this love extends to the thousands, yet God does not leave the guilty unpunished. There is punishment to the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Just to explain this idea of multi-generational consequences, it doesn't mean that if, you know, my dad broke the speed limit, um, and, you know, got in trouble with it, that I'm going to be paying speeding fines and my kids are going to be paying speeding fines. That's not what is meant by that. Instead, it's that consequences for actions can sometimes have multi-generational impacts. And I think the best illustration of that right now that makes the most sense to people here in Canada in our world today is uh, the history of the residential schools in Canada. So we understand that that was something that happened before. The last residential school was closed in the late 90s. So they're not active anymore, but there are people who are still living with the consequences of what was done to their parents and their parents' parents in those schools. Sin and wrong behavior can have multi-generational consequences, but there is hope because what Exodus shows us poetically is that while there are consequences for sin to the third and the fourth generation, Love extends to thousands. It goes so far beyond any wrong or hurt. It can encompass all of it without any difficulty because God's love is so broad and so deep and so wide. So the good news here is that chesed will eternally outpace consequences. Notice that chesed extends to thousands while punishment and consequence only last for two or three or four generations. This is, of course, a poetic description. It doesn't mean that only a few thousand people get to experience the love of God. It's poetic. It's meant to take large numbers, numbers that are exponentially larger and compare them to much smaller numbers. So it makes the point. It's a poetic description of the love that God has for us. It's essentially there to make the point that love never fails. God's love for us is a relentless, never failing, never slowing, never dying love. It is a love that has determined to pursue us no matter how lost we might think we are, no matter how out of reach we might feel. God's love, this chesed love, is a love that will constantly pursue us and reach and pull us back in. It's a love that leaves 99 sheep in search of the one that is lost. So the first thing that we need to learn and understand from the text that we started with this morning about God being love is that the most essential essential component of God's character for us to understand is love. God is love, which means that when we read about Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus is love embodied. Jesus' life shows us what love truly looks like in the way that he lived. And we as Christians are called to copy and emulate and aspire to be like Jesus. We learn through the scriptures that we could not ever do anything to make God love us more, nor could we ever do anything to make God love us less. God's love is infinite in its scope. No matter how lost we feel, God will relentlessly pursue us, drawing us back in, seeking deeper, more meaningful relationship with us each and every day. And when we come to understand even a part of this love, even if you can just grasp for a brief moment 
how deeply God loves you. It's a transformational experience. It changes the way you think about yourself. It changes the way you think about others. It changes the way you view your relationships. It changes the way you go about living life day in and day out because the love of God is so full that it's just, it's, it's almost incomprehensible. Once you've caught just a piece of it, you know how deeply loved and cared for you are and it changes everything. That's the point of 1 John 4. Right? John is encouraging the people. He's saying, let us love one another. Anyone who loves is born of God. But he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The thing that will define us as followers of God, then, is love. And the way that we love, our ability to love, our capacity for love, even in the most difficult of situations. We love because God loved us first. So if we've experienced the love of God firsthand, then we have a responsibility. And this is what our text at the start this morning was was demonstrating. If we've experienced the love of God, then we have a responsibility to share that love with others, to show that love to others, to demonstrate it practically and tangibly to the best of our ability, just how deeply God loves them, to show them even a glimpse of that love. We can't keep it to ourselves. We can't hoard it. And the beauty of something that is infinite is that by its very nature, it can't be hoarded, right? I can't accumulate more love from God that means God loves me more than the person next to me because God is capable of loving the person next to me just as much. And same with every single human being that has ever existed and ever will exist. God's capacity for love is endless. So there's no sense in trying to hoard it for ourselves so that we feel good. Because if I share God's love with somebody else, it doesn't mean that I have less. That's not how something that's infinite in scope works. So there's no sense in hoarding it. There's no sense in hiding it. There's no sense in keeping it to ourselves. Instead, it makes all the more sense for us to show that love and demonstrate that love to the people around us. As Christians, Love should be at the center of everything we do. It should determine the way that we act, and it should motivate us in our desire to act and to care for others. If you've ever been to a wedding, you'll recognize the text I'm about to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. See, love needs to be the motivating factor, the driving force behind everything that we do. If I give all my money away just so that I get an article written about me in the newspaper, I might as well have not done it because I did it for the wrong reasons, right? If I tell my wife that I love her purely because I don't feel like doing the dishes tonight and I'm hoping that saying that will get her to do it, I should go do the dishes. Like, and I never should have said that, right? Love is not something that we we keep for convenient use. It's something that we share as liberally as possible with the people around us and it should motivate and drive every single thing that we do. It should be our driving force. Because that's the way that God has loved and cared for us. So, just to recap before I land the plane here this morning. What have we covered so far? This. God loves us deeply. God will never stop pursuing us. 
And no matter how unlovable we might feel on any given day, God will forever be there drawing us closer and telling us that we have value because we are made in the divine image. No matter how unlovable, ugly, sinful, horrible I might feel on any given day, God is there pulling me and saying, I love you, I care about you, and I'm here with you every single step of the way. And because we have been so deeply loved, we are called then to love deeply. If I've experienced this love, the only responsible thing for me to do is to share it with others. If I receive love that deep and I keep it to myself, I'm selfish. Instead, when I receive a love that deep, I need to go out and try to share it and show it to others. People should be able to experience the love that God has for them through the very people who profess to have experienced that love for themselves. If I tell somebody that God loves them, but I don't act like it, how in the world are they ever going to believe me? So it's important that we, if we have been so deeply loved, it is so important that we love others deeply. So what does that mean for me? I want to challenge you with one eminently practical thing to work on. Okay? One thing that every single one of us can take away this week, I'm going to do it too, and we're going to practice it and work on it um, all together. I want to challenge you in one area of life that most Christians engage with, and that is in Bible reading. How do we read the Bible? We're coming into the Advent season where a lot of people pick up their Bibles to engage with the Christmas story. Um, and then comes the new year before we know it. It's like a month, not even a month and a half away now. We'll be into 2022. Which means that if you're like me, you're about to make a New Year's resolution that you will read the entire Bible in 2022. And if you're like me, you've also probably read the book of Genesis like 30 times. And the rest of the Bible a little bit. Uh, because I'm terrible at keeping my New Year's resolutions. But no matter what happens, if we commit ourselves to getting back into God's Word and reading the Bible, I want to challenge you in how you read it. Taking everything we learned this morning about how deeply God loves us and how we are called to love others deeply, I want to challenge you in the way that you read the Bible. And this challenge doesn't come from me directly. It was actually issued thousands of years ago by a man who you might recognize the name of. Uh, his name is St. Augustine. And he lived just a few hundred years after Jesus, and he reflected a lot on, on Scripture. And he wrote a book entitled The De Doctrina. And I won't bore you with all of the details because it's dense and difficult. But essentially, the De Doctrina was St. Augustine's way of saying, here's how you should read the Bible. And the good news for you guys this morning is that I am going to boil down all of the De Doctrina into about two sentences so that you don't have to go read it yourselves. And these two sentences come from St. Augustine, and I'll offer an explanation because, as I said, he's dense and difficult to read at times. St. Augustine said this, The fulfillment and end of Scripture is the love of God and neighbor. Whoever then thinks that he understands the Holy Scriptures or any part of them but puts such an interpretation on them as does not tend to build up this twofold love of God and neighbor, does not yet understand as he thought. What Augustine's saying here is that the purpose of Scripture is to encourage us to love God and to love our neighbors and to direct us on how to do that well. That's, that's the chief end. And that's how we should look at the Bible then. 
What he then goes on to say, and I'll tell you this, the first time I read it, I took it as a bit of a slap in the face and a wake-up call. He said, if you read a passage of scripture, and by the time you finish it, you haven't felt encouraged to either go love your neighbor better or to love God more, try again, because you missed it. Do it again, read it again, until you arrive at what that passage of scripture is teaching you about how God loves you and how you ought to love other people. So no matter what part of scripture we engage with, we are engaged in the practice of interpretation. We're trying to understand what that word means for us today. That's what we've done this morning, talking about 1 John 4. What does it mean for me today when I hear that God is love and everyone that loves is born of God? What does that mean for me today? So my challenge to you is this as you go out. As you read your Bible in the weeks and months and I hope years ahead, Think about what you are taking away from the text for your own life. How is it inspiring you to act? What are you learning about your behavior? What are you being encouraged to do? And if for any reason your interpretation of the text leads you to do anything except love God more and love your neighbors more, then I'm going to challenge you to go back and read it again. If after picking up your Bible with your cup of coffee in the morning, you've read the passage and you felt encouraged to do anything except go out and love the people around you and love God with every part of who you are, read it again. Because I really think that Augustine was right. If the most essential part of God's character is love, and we are called to show that love of God to the people around us, then it's entirely reasonable that the word of God, that the word God has given to us would be a word that teaches us and shows us how to love well. So just remember, as, as we conclude this morning, God loves you no matter what. And because you've experienced that love, make sure you show it to others. And I'm challenging you that in the way you read the Bible, you might look to see how God loves you and how you're being challenged to go and love others. I'm going to pray uh, as we conclude this morning. But thank you so much again for having me uh, and for, for this time. Uh, it's been a blessing to me, uh, no doubt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, and once again, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for how deeply you care, how you long to be in relationship with us. God, I pray your blessing on each and every one as we conclude this morning. I pray that we would feel the love, the depth of the love that you have for us. And God, I pray that we would never be people who take that love and hide it under a bushel or keep it to ourselves in a dark room, but instead, God, that we would be people who show that love to others that we would be a light to them uh, in the midst of their darkness. God, thank you again for this time together. Uh, it's truly been a blessing. I pray for each of us as we go out that we would seek to love you more and to love others more. In Jesus' name, amen.